0: Good afternoon, everyone. Um, it's great pleasure to be here this afternoon to talk to you about GDPR. Now that GDPR has gone live, um, and we're going to be talking to you, I'm going to be talking to you about the five things you you should know and that you should be doing as part of uh, GDPR today. Um, and I'm very pleased to be able to um, introduce Ananth. Ananth, why don't you um, introduce yourself and um, tell us a little bit about what you're going to be talking about today? Thank you, Darren. Good good day, everybody.
1: Nice to meet you. It's it's a relief in some ways that the world has not stopped spinning, even though GDPR has gone live. But uh, no doubt uh, the question uh, in many people's mind is the practical aspect of it. How does one practically comply with GDPR in a cost effective manner? The focus of my presentation
0: is to explain how this can be achieved. Darren? Great stuff. Thank you very much. Right. Well, we're going to Crack on with the uh, the presentation. Um, the slides will be made available after the event and we're also recording this, so it will be available as both a podcast and also a, uh, a webinar recording after the event, so you don't have to be really quick on the, uh, on the print screen key or anything like that. If you've got questions as we go through the event, please do ask them. Um, what, uh, uh, the way it works is uh, towards the right-hand side in the GoToWebinar application there, please do ask your questions as we go along and we'll be coming to those um, all together at the end okay well i'm going to start off and i'm going to give a little bit of background about gdpr and some of the terminology of gdpr just so that we're level setting on some of this stuff just to make sure that everyone's got a good understanding so let's do that so some gdpr background so Many people are thinking that GDPR has sort of come out of the blue and didn't understand where it had come from, um, but actually data protection regulation goes back to as early as 1984. And a lot of the things in the GDPR are actually based on that first Data Protection Act back in 1984. Um, in between, there was the Data Protection Directive and that was uh, uh, the, the predecessor to GDPR. And many, again, many of the tenants of GDPR existed within the Data Protection Directive. Some of the major changes though the fines are bigger and it's extraterritorial as many of you will appreciate GDPR isn't just about uh, um, European uh, organizations anymore it's organizations in uh, the United States in Australia in Singapore and uh, you know regularly talking to people in all of those countries about uh, what they need to be doing uh, to avoid some of these uh, the potential of these large-scale fines here's an example of um, some of the data protection regulation around the world though so it's not just about europe Um, you know europe uh, really has forged um, some of the strictest data protection regulation but other countries, depending on the industry sector you're in, or depending on uh, the type of, de- of data you're collecting, uh, other countries have uh, some strict regulation as well. And I know we have some folks um, on the webinar today from uh, Bermuda and from uh, Grand Cayman. Um, those countries as well, as well, they're not represented on this map, but those countries as well are, um, uh, have their own data protection regulation that's uh, either live now or coming live this, uh, this year. Um, but not all data protection is uh, equal, and you can see some of the differences there. I've really just concentrated on um, five aspects there. Um, you know, whether the, the regulation and requirement ha- has a requirement for a CISO or a data protection officer, uh, whether it recognises the concept of personal data, whether it recognises consent requirement, whether it requires a breach notification, um, and whether there's any geosensitivity. You know, can you easily take the data out of one uh, country? Uh, and ship it to another or one region and ship it to another, or is that uh, constrained and You can see some of the um, some of the requirements there of um, those countries that i've uh, that i've picked on. Okay, let's get into some of the terminology and I'm going I'm to go through this um, relatively quickly but as I said the slides will be available after the event so if you need to revisit it, uh, feel free to then and obviously if you've got any questions ask them at the end but also um, you know, do feel free to um, you know, contact either myself or Ananth after, uh, after the event and um, the FISTEP email address is uh, there at the bottom of the screen. So person data, um, this is information that relates and can identify an individual, okay? So some of the data, some of the examples on the right-hand side, um, a name, an employee ID, um, national insurance or social security number, a passport or an ID uh, number, uh, bank account details, uh, email address, IP address even, all of that information allows you to identify an ind- individual. Now. There's also some aspects here of where uh, identifying an individual can be done through transaction history as well, so it's not just this; these examples here. These are the examples that are very obvious and very clearly identifiers of individuals, but it, it can be a little bit broader than that. Okay, so bear some of that in mind if you've not done so already. Sensitive personal data is, um, as its name suggests, um, is information where um, the sensitivity is higher. Now, I think of these things, uh, they're very often uh, the things where people have been persecuted um, um, you know, in the past, but they're definitely things that are more about the individual. Um, so it can be racial or ethnic origin. It can be political opinions, religious beliefs or philosophical beliefs, uh, trade union membership, um, uh, health information. Um, sexual orientation or um, information about um, a data subject's sex life or criminal history. Any of that information is uh, sensitive personal information um, along with now biometric and genetic information as well. In order to process um, personal information or sensitive personal information under the GDPR, um, you have to make sure that you've got a purpose, at least one purpose. And very often you'll have more than one purpose for different workflows, Um, but the purpose is the reason you're collecting the data. So that might be if you're an insurance company, for example, it might be to provide um, an insurance service okay if you're a bank it may be to provide banking services you get the the general picture but other workflows such as uh, we're collecting this information in order to uh, assess your suitability to become an employee of the organization that can be a purpose as well okay and that's why you'll have many purposes for uh, different uh, workflows Data processing, right at the heart of what GDPR is about is uh, data processing, but the definition of data processing within the GDPR is very broad. Now, I've been in and around IT for, well, my, most of my life, to be perfectly honest, and I would really struggle to find an exception uh, to what you can do with any data that isn't covered by um, by the Data Protection Act, So, uh, sorry, by the GDPR. So um, this is the list here. So anywhere, anything where you're collecting, recording, organizing, structuring, um, storage, da- uh, adaption or alteration, retrieval, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you really can't do anything with this, uh, with the data you've um, collected. Um, you know, whether it be collecting the data or indeed hosting the data, or even deleting the data, um, it's all considered to be data processing. And therefore you have to be uh, making sure uh, you're following the rules. Consent. Now, consent is one of the legal bases of um, uh, one of the reasons you can use um, to have permission to process data. Um, But it's only one of six. It's probably the best understood um, and in some uh, respects, the one that people default to or organizations default to is asking the permission of the data subject to process their data. It seems very obvious. Um, Consent, however, can be withdrawn. So consent may not always be um, the the most appropriate legal basis for processing data. Um, if, for example, you're processing data under uh, a contract, you know the insurance policy, for example, like I mentioned earlier on. If you're doing that, then consent probably isn't the right legal basis. It's perhaps more of a contractual uh, basis that you'll be processing the data under there. Um, but you need to bear that in mind. And if you've not gone through that whole process already as an organisation, or you. The other thing about consent is it has to be positive and it has to be opt-in. So the pre-filled checkbox that says, uh, yes, I opt-in to um, you sending me lots of emails and bothering me with um, um, lots of marketing information, that's no longer allowed. Okay, so it has to be positive, has to be well-informed. I've mentioned that you can process without consent, so it's only one of the legal bases. You need to choose the right one. Uh, for your organisation and for your various purposes. So it may be that um, for the transactional work it's going to be under a legal basis, there may be other things that you're doing such as uh, marketing activity for example where um, consent is the right uh, choice. Under the GDPR it defines several roles and responsibilities um, and the primary one is the data controller. So the data controller is the um, the person or uh, entity that defines the purpose so in most um, situations um, it's relatively clear so for an insurance um, company for example offering an insurance policy and that's the reason for purpose the purpose for collecting the data um, and the insurance uh, company would be the data controller um, so th- that's relatively clear. Now there can be cases where you have joint data controllers uh, and things like that. But in most cases, it's relatively clear. If you're in doubt about some of those or are in a special circumstances, make sure you're reaching out to the right people to actually help you define that and understand that because otherwise um, uh, the, uh, the, the role of data controller can fall between two stools, and both third parties can assume that they're, they're not the data controller. And that can be a dangerous situation to be in. So make sure that's well defined and understood. So we have data controller but then we have a data processor. So the data processor is any person or organisation who's processing data, but not under the employment of the data controller. So this is a, a third party, if you like. Um, good example of this is where you've got um, um, Uh, A portion of your HR outsourced, for example, uh, payroll is always a good example. So if your payroll is outsourced, the organisation that is processing and and performing that function for you is a data processor. You remain the data controller because you define why uh, the purpose for collecting the data. But the data processor is that third party organisation who's actually making those payments on your behalf or telling you what the payments should be. Okay, there are eight rights uh, of data subjects, and I'm not going to go all, uh, through all of these in, in detail. Um, uh, I've done a number of other podcasts where I've gone into these in into some detail, and if anyone's got any questions about that or we'll needs happily point you in the direction of those. But I'm just going to touch on a couple that are quite important. Um, the top one there, the right to be informed. That basically means that the data subject, the person who um, who the data belongs to, the, uh, the person who the data is about, um, they have the right to be informed about what their data is being used for. Okay, uh, the second right, the right of access. They have the right to ask for a copy of the personal data that you collect. Um, I think I was talking about the right to erasure around about the time that uh, the people lost Um, uh, contact so that's really about the right to be forgotten it's a a right of a data subject but it's not um, a a right that has to be necessarily enforced okay so if there is a case and a reason for that data to be retained uh, a legal reason uh, for example for anti-money laundering purposes or anything like or something like that as an example um, then the right to be um, uh, forgotten can actually be rejected or, or at least deferred. Uh, but it has to be explained. It can't just be because the company or the data uh, controller wants to keep the data for longer. That's, um, that's not allowed. I'm going to jump now to the right uh, to data portability. Um, the right to data portability is very similar to the right of access and it really means that the, the data subject has the ha- uh, has the right to request a copy of their data but in machine readable form okay so this is going to be very very big news for some in financial services and other other sectors too in financial services where uh you know the comparison websites for example one of the biggest barriers to people changing their bank account or their credit card or their um, insurance company for example is the amount of data they have to um, type in well that's all going to go away now with the, with the right to data portability uh where you'll just be able to upload your xml file or your Uh, the the extract that you get from your existing supplier. Um, The last one I'm gonna talk about is the right to manual processing. And this is an important one because it means that if a decision is made automatically or algorithmically, um, a data subject has the right to have their case reviewed um, or assessed by a person. Uh, and that um, that person can then either agree or disagree with the, um, the decision that was made by the algorithm. But it means that uh, you have to be able to process some of your automated decisions. Uh... Okay, so I'm going to move on to the, the five things you should know and the five things that you should be doing uh, right now. So, um, number one. Uh, now, I've had this conversation with uh, the information commissioner within uh, the UK. Um, the most important thing from uh, from their perspective is that you're evidencing you're taking GDPR seriously. If you're ignoring GDPR, pretending it doesn't apply, ha- haven't reviewed it or assessed that you're taking um, it seriously, those are the organizations who are going to get the biggest or more likely um, to get the biggest um, fines, okay? So there's a lot of things that you can do in terms of um, you know, making sure that you're on the right path. Um, you're know, using Event Tracker to demonstrate um, data privacy and things like that. And um, uh, uh, we'll talk about that in a, in a moment uh, in more detail. Um, um, you know, working with Fistap, getting a quick start um, assessment if you're not ready on the path to GDPR compliance um, already, then um, you're doing that, or indeed verifying that you're on the uh, you're as mature as you think you are. So making sure that you're there will set you on the right path to ensuring that you're not one of those organisations um, who's uh, you know, who's who's in mind for the biggest fines um, should you uh, should you have a breach or something like that. Okay, make sure number two is make sure you've got your business processes in the right uh, position. Okay, failing to meet the, the service level agreements um, for uh, your know, subject access request or a data breach or something like that is going to be one of the quickest routes to getting a regulator, a data protection authority, looking at what you're doing and how you're working. Okay, it, it, It's just going to be one of those easy ways because if, you, if you're getting complaints from the data subjects that they're asking for their copies of their data and that's either being refused or it's not being provided within time limits or it doesn't appear to be complete, those kind of things, um, they're going to be grounds for complaints and the regulator will act on the complaints. They, you know, they genuinely will. They've said that 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 is going to be the case. also, organizations, um, the law firms that uh, step works with on a regular basis, for example, they're already identifying that the subject access requests are increasingly com- becoming part of um, the, the legal process, a sort of um, um, e-discovery process, if you like, uh, where uh, the plaintiffs will ask for a copy of their data from an organization to find out exactly what information uh, the company has on them and holds on them. So be aware of that process. That may mean that you get more subject access requests than you uh, than you may be expecting, or indeed that uh, you've had historically. So be uh, be prepared for that and think about that, um, but make sure your business processes are strong enough. Number three, ensure that you're data breach ready. Um, under the J uh, under the GDPR, you have seventy two hours um, to notify. Um, the uh, Data Protection Authority uh, that you've had a breach. Okay, so um, below or uh, on the screen there, you can see the uh, the steps that uh, that you need to take. Uh, so you need to triage the breach. Is the breach ongoing? Is it something that you've um, that you've already mitigated? Um, you know, uh, did it happen some time ago and you're only just discovering it now? Uh, you need to establish the scope and size of the breach. Um, you need to assess the data, uh, the impact on the data subject. Uh, You need to uh, notify the Data Protection Authority, and you may, depending on the nature of the breach, need to notify the data subjects as well, okay? All of that has to be done in 72 hours. That's not 72 working hours, okay? It's 72 hours from the point that you become aware of the breach. So you need to be um, data breach ready. That means you need to have a battle plan, a communications plan, uh, a whole incident response plan. Um, It's not something that you can just, um, you know, Uh, be notified of a a breach and then start having the conversations about, okay, what what should we do next then? Number four, I mentioned some of this earlier on, make sure that you've got the right legal basis for processing the data don't just be relying upon consent, it's not the strongest, it's not the best and it may not necessarily be um, offering you the all of the protection that, that, uh, that you want or expect and it may be limiting uh, the way that you can use the data in some ways. So make sure that you've got a well-defined uh, purpose, um, make sure that you can evidence that you have a legal basis for the processing of the data and make sure that you can that um, your vendors that your suppliers are actually following that process and understand their legal basis for being able to use the the, the data okay it's very uh, very important but some organizations have sort of made a, um a very blanket decision that they're going to be using consent uh, as, the, as the primary basis and that's uh, something that's going to come back and prove limiting for them in the future potentially And the last one uh, that I'm going to talk about is um, have a data protection officer or know that you don't need one. Okay, so um, as I say here, GDPR isn't a one and done uh, project, it's something that has to evolve, it has to keep on uh, being maintained, it has to keep uh, being evidenced. Um, the GDPR says that you need to have a data protection officer and there are some guidelines to that um, and I mentioned those on the right hand side of the, uh, the slide deck there. Um, if you're processing sensitive personal information, definitely need one. Okay? And if you're processing uh, more than 5,000 records of personal information, uh, then you're going to need one. Okay, Um, FISTEP has an answer for that. Um, We have a flexible uh, fractional uh, DPO service uh, and we're happy to talk to uh, people about that. But even if you're um, making the decision that you don't need a DPO uh, um, internally within your organization, Um, all the documentation for that, in case you're quizzed on it. If you have a breach after the event and you can demonstrate that you didn't, it wasn't because you didn't have a, a DPO or you didn't need a DPO, um, then that's a far better uh, position to be in than scrambling around after the event trying to explain it. Okay, um, I'm not going to mention uh, my book, although we are going to be giving away copies um, of that afterwards, but I'm going to hand over to uh, uh, Ananth now. So Ananth, um, I've talked a lot here about um, Uh, about uh, how organizations um, can be impacted and some of the things um, that they should be doing. Um, You're gonna actually give some examples now of um, the practicalities of that. Yes, indeed,
1: thank you so much. So if you can uh, make me presenter, there I am, and hopefully you can see my deck. So folks, uh, fifth step, and Darren in particular, are the go-to guides if you're looking to set up your program and understand um, at a very deep level the nuances of GDPR. Uh, the consequences of non-compliance uh, promise to be severe. So you don't want to navigate these waters without a really experienced guide, and fifth step is your guide. At some point, though, um, as the saying goes, the rubber must meet the road and the solution that we at here at event tracker have crafted which is a which is a service a managed security and compliance service by the name of symphonic is frankly dedicated to the problem the practical problem of how do you comply with the gdpr in this instance many other compliance frameworks and while you're at it since nobody's it budget is excessively large how do you also get the additional value In particular, how do you satisfy some of the IT security constraints? So for some people, uh, the chicken and egg question is framed as such. What comes first, compliance or security? And just like with the chicken and egg question, there is no one correct answer. It depends on how you really look at it. After all, the idea behind compliance is really coming from a security mindset. Um, You don't want, your customers desperately don't want uh, the data that they've trusted you with to, to get out there in the open and then possibly be subject to abuse or misuse. How do you protect that? In other words, what's the security controls that you have around the data so that you can satisfy mostly the public at large, your customers, but as their proxy, perhaps an auditor who's asking the question on their behalf? So the Symphonic solution is designed to be able to answer that question in a way with a set of technologies and a set of people such that this can happen rapidly. Frankly, to do something like GDPR, you need the expertise of a a Darren Ray and a fifth step to come by take a look at your infrastructure and devise a mechanism by which you can satisfy yourself, your customers, and then perhaps the auditor, if they do happen to come and knock in, That the controls you have in place, the processes and procedures you have in place do in fact satisfy both the letter and the spirit of that regulation. Once you've got that, why then you must actually live the life that you promised you would. And frankly, that's where the symphonic service comes in. Our solution is not just technology laid at your doorstep with a set of training videos and a good luck kiss on the cheeks hoping it all works out. Our solution is something where we can stand cheek by jowl with you and make sure that the implementation has gone off properly, not just now, but continuing on. That if you do get a visit from the auditor, you're not there all by your lonesome trying to explain why the controls you have in place do in fact suffice. At some point, the auditor is going to want artifacts, going to want evidence. The Symphonic Service is in your corner helping you to provide that sort of evidence should that type of situation come about. So in the next 15 or so minutes, I'm going to be showing you how specifically Symphonic does in fact do this. And we do this right now for a number of customers uh, on a variety of different regulations all across the world. Um, The technology underneath is something known as SIM and it stands for Security Information and event monitoring. I'm sure that many in the audience would be quite familiar. This is the technique by which data is gathered from all of the assets around the network, log data, other kinds of security data, and then to a central console, and then through a combination of people who understand what these things mean at our 24 by seven security operation center, and a set of process discipline by which we can produce the necessary artifacts and escalate to you in a way that makes sense. Um, All of these, so that you can, in fact, demonstrate and feel comfortable with compliance. This is called a co-managed solution. And by co-managed, what's meant is that this problem is not just simply dumped on your head with a bit of technology, but instead, there are people on our team, on our 24 by 7 SOC, that will stand with you shoulder to shoulder in order to make the solution work out. This concept of co-management has been recognized all around as really the way to go. The reason for that, acute skill shortage. All across the world, people that understand how to do these things are in short supply. So merely throwing technology at in your lap and saying hope that all works out tends not to get the job done. Co-managed service, on the other hand, is there to stand with you and make sure that it's not just technology, but it's delivered as a service. And you can see these quotations from this consulting firm called Gartner that is quite influential in technology circles. A little bit about um, the technology itself and the company, we've been around for quite a while and our capabilities in this area are quite comprehensive, both from a compliance standpoint and from a, um, a service standpoint. The solution tends to be effective for a wide range of buyers people that have infosec teams to those that maybe have a one man or a no man team it can help you in all of those uh, situations this service is uh, is designed to address the pain point the pain point is it's not just technology but it's the it's the full range of services that get it deployed get it configured properly and then from an ongoing basis do the administration analysis And in that fashion, take risk off the table. I mean, another way to look at all of the compliance standards is to think of them as risk mitigation. Um, There is always some residual risk that the organization is left with, because if you wake up in the morning and get out of bed, there is some residual risk that you accept anyway. But if you're accepting and mindful of your best practices, you can have that be mitigated or reduced down to to, to a smaller and acceptable level. So really, the function of the Symphonic service is to try to reduce that risk to to a level that's appropriate for your particular organization. I'm going to stop babbling about the technology itself and then take you into a demonstration of the platform. This is a software solution. There's nothing to actually buy in terms of hardware. Um, This can be hosted, if you like, at our data center. Or if you prefer, this can be a solution that resides entirely within your network with our team getting remote access only to the Event Tracker instance so that we can do our co-management. Now GDPR, as you are no doubt aware, calls out a lot of different things for you to do. We have in the Solution Brief that's available on our website, the EU GDPR Solution Brief, explained in some detail. And so if you get over to EventTracker.com, under the solutions compliance bucket, you're going to find our answer to the wide variety of compliance standards that our service supports. Of course, there used to be GPG 13. There were many other predecessors of this. Uh, GDPR did not arise in a vacuum, as Darren pointed out. And here is the one for GDPR in particular. That would lead you to this solution brief where we explain in detail all the things that were described uh, by fifth step, and how specifically Event Tracker would, would solve that problem. So, we have implemented then for this sample customer for whom I'm showing you the screen a set of reports and alerts and dashboards as they pertain to GDPR. Now, Event Tracker supports a wide variety of data sources. So, depending on the kind of equipment in scope, whether you have Microsoft Windows technology or you have Unix technology or you have Um, uh, some other sort of processor, firewalls, uh, load balancers, pieces of software, Office 365. We support uh, a gathering of data from a very wide collection of uh, of log sources. And once we have received the data, why then we can paint uh, a number of different sorts of dashboards and reports and alerts. So for example, as you can see, we've built out a set of dashboards as it relates to, for example, PCI DSS. This is the payment card industry data security standard. Here's one for the 800-171 a regulation that's made by the National Institute of Standards and Technology for those that are processing uh, information in the government domain. And then, of course, the topic of today's conversation, and that's GDPR. Now, As you are no doubt aware, GDPR is broken up into a number of different chapters and here in this document we describe how the different chapters that um, are within the gdpr this particular table that i'm talking about here um, what does the gdpr standard say for example article 5 how would you go about achieving it because if we're talking about practical here and the theoretical stuff need to have it they, they, they are the underpinning but practically how do you comply with article five? Well, here's the document that explains it to you. And then if you're going to engage Symphonic, why then this particular article would map into these report categories. We produce for you a critical observations report that says, this is what the standard says. And here's what happened in your network as it relates to that particular standard. Now our analysts, from our 24 by seven security operation center, looks at all of these different criteria that you see here on the right. So in order to satisfy, for instance, article five that says personal data shall be processed in a manner that ensures appropriate security of that data, we will use the report subscriptions to set up a schedule for reviewing. That says all of the accounts, the user accounts with current or historical state, what sorts of permissions did they have What kind of new users have shown up? What sort of permissions do they have? Use the collected audit trail to look at user access to sensitive context. So in order to satisfy that requirement, our team is reviewing all of these and providing you a critical observations report so that you can show the auditor, show yourself, show your customer that you are in fact compliant with the equipment type that you have in the context of GDPR. So this table goes on. You know, we're talking about the controller shall be responsible um, to demonstrate compliance with paragraph one, the accountability thing. So here's what the analyst then does in order to satisfy that, and then so on down the line. So I'm not gonna get into chapter and verse. I just wanted to give you a sense on how is it that we accomplish this. Now, in order to show this visually, you might actually wind up at a dashboard like this one. And in a dashboard like this one, you can see that article 25, Uh, 2 is specifically talking about uh, how you would satisfy it from a, if the equipment in scope were a Microsoft Windows kind of thing. So in this particular implementation, that's what we've implemented, but of course your technology, the one that's in scope of GDPR may be more than this, at which point we implement all of the different technologies on your behalf. Now the solution is receiving data from all of these. And so on the reports dashboard, you can see that there are a number of reports that are already generated and explained as to how they pertain to the specific section of GDPR. All of these reports have details so that you can actually look at it. And this is stuff that our auditor, our analyst looks at. And this kind of stuff is available to you 24-7. And so from a GDPR perspective, there are a number of CAN reports depending on the equipment in scope. That we we will generate. And of course GDPR is one of many compliance standards that you can have. Here's another mapping document. This is something that is delivered to you as part of the installation service. This GDPR mapping would take into account the sorts of equipment that you have in scope and then configure a number of reports and a number of alerts. So reports are something that you review on a regular basis. Alerts is something that happens And when it happens, it's something that we're interested in in waking you up on. Our 24 by 7 SOC is is constantly uh, uh, looking at this kind of stuff. And so anything that appears, maybe from a uh, security standpoint or from a a, a compliance standpoint, if it puts your compliance in question, why then you'll come to know. There is the concept of compliance on a schedule and also, of course, the the concept of continuous compliance. continuous compliance says that you should be ready to be compliant at any point if you get a surprise question why then you should be ready to, to answer that with the symphonic solution that is something that can be uh, readily demonstrated so back to the back to the solution itself in addition to all of these things um, as data is flowing you the the customer have access to um, a lot of different search data. So for instance, if I, and these are all pre-built widgets. So if I look under the predefined tab for G, you'll see that there are configured in the system, a variety of search. So this is sort of like looking at the data as it comes in uh, in real time, asking that from a GDPR perspective, was this especially interesting to me? Uh, and so if you're interested in this in a in a real time kind of uh, situation, uh, that's something that we support as well. Um, but but uh, there's one other piece that's worth mentioning. The, the solution uh, contemplates the delivery of a critical observations report. Our team is sitting there looking at data collected from all of the devices in your network, running all of these reports, doing all of these alerts. But when it becomes time to, to inform you, this critical observations report is the way we would do that. Uh, if you can see the screen, we look at all of the activity that has occurred and we're doing this for a sample company called Controso. And we are saying, what are the things that occurred? We're classifying them into different buckets. you know, For instance, color coded, if it's a critical threat, and then how it maps to the GDPR section, right? So that you have at all times on, an, on a daily basis, if you subscribe to this service, an explanation of uh, how how the incident that has been observed would impact you from a GDPR perspective. Now, that's the chicken and egg question. Was it a security thing or was it a compliance thing? Well, the answer is it might have started out as a requirement from GDPR, a a compliance thing. But it would surely be a security problem. For instance, in this example, Palo Alto has detected network traffic, which indicates that maybe the Angler exploit kit is active. Well, it goes to Chapter 2, Article 5, which talks about the effectiveness of data protection controls. The solution just doesn't merely alert you and say, oh, this happened, deal with it. Instead, it gives you specifics. I mean, after all, if you're going to ever escalate to you, we have to answer the five W questions, the who, the what, the where, the when, and then what specifically do you want to do about this? Right? So this link takes you further down where you can actually see all of the details as to what sort of, of, uh, uh, alert was put out by Palo Alto. You see enrichment where you can look, our, our team's done the work of running all of this stuff down, by the way, to do this, We have to have a number of experts uh, on our team in all the different sorts of technology that are common in industry. And that's what we do. So the 24 by seven SOC has people dedicated to you and your organization, but also can call upon subject matter experts in all of the different technology pieces in order to understand what all of these things mean. This is what we call a critical observations report. And this is one that has been annotated specifically so that you can see where you stand vis-a-vis GDPR. Now, all of these things are shown to you, and we do have a process by which we collect all of these incidents in a case book by opening a case, and we track those cases to closure. So you wind up having a lot of evidence available on your hands, not only the data itself, but also perhaps the reports that we've generated. Needless to say, all of these reports can, in fact, be annotated. So from a workflow perspective, I can choose to add a note and describe my findings. And if I do in fact do that, notice the little visual indication. So from a GDPR perspective, I have actually looked at this report. I have annotated it as such. Now, when you get your auditor uh, asking for evidence that you had in fact done things the correct way, you could of course point to these reports, you could point to the mapping that I showed you, but you could also show him something like this where you have these notes. And if you run that for any particular period of time, which is what the the auditor typically wants to see, this usually makes them very happy. Uh, You've not only satisfied GDPR because you have a logical explanation. Here are the Here's the equipment in the network that's subject to GDPR. Here's my mapping. These are the sorts of reports. These are the sorts of alerts. Here's evidence that I truly, in fact, followed it. I mean, aside of satisfying the letter of the law, what's much more important here is that you've satisfied the spirit of the law, and that actually gets you secured instead of just merely being compliant. And that's a that's a very important outcome. A little bit more about the service. Uh, The architecture of Symphonic is such that there is your network. There is the central console. We also integrate in uh, global threat intelligence feeds, because this is not just about keeping your GDPR compliant. This is also about protecting you from all of the uh, attacks that are rampant. I mean, if you're going to get involved in this, if you're going to implement this, then your IT dollar, your IT pound, your IT euro needs to go that much further. Um, For that that same price, how about we also solve some of the persistent endpoint threat problems, the ones that are bedeviling customers everywhere and are really the cause of some of this theft. Now, if the theft occurs of that personally identifiable information, as Darren was pointing out, why then the penalty might come down to you from the GDPR side, but really it's a failure of security. And our 24 by 7 SOC is available to provide that assistance, terminate the attacks in real time, and then provide you these critical observations report with specifics explaining how you're supposed to handle it. Event Tracker, as I mentioned to you before, definitely does do GDPR compliance. And that's, of course, the reason that we are on this webinar. But there are a number of other components to it. And at the same price, you're perfectly capable of uh, or able to get all of these um, other kinds of things. Um, so vulnerability assessment, uh, network scanning, these are all options that are available to you as part of the Symphonic service. So think broad scope, uh, not just, we, we know a number of organizations that are always chafing for security budgets. And somehow that is a difficult thing to get the sea levels to actually uh, loosen up the purse strings. If GDPR is the mechanism by which you can achieve security, why then so be it? And so then think of a solution that not only scratches your GDPR itch, but gives you protection across the board for a number of other things as well. Um, we mentioned GDPR, but this is the exact same problem. Of course, the chapters are different. The sections are different. The specifics are somewhat different, but the solution is capable of supporting more than just GDPR. And with the Symphonic uh, process, you will always be ready for an audit. Um, The the situation that we have observed over and over again that makes it hard is when panic sets in, when the notice of an audit shows up and now you're scrambling in order to be able to uh, to respond. Now, your life is in an upheaval. All other projects must somehow come to a grinding halt, and you must jump to satisfy the auditor. You don't want to be in that position. You want to do five or ten minutes of work every day so that when they show up, hey, it's just another normal day. Wouldn't that be nice? That's what Symphonic aims to do. The difference, of course, is we're not dumping software on your lap and saying, bon chance, because that sort of thing really leads to difficulty. We're providing the co-managed difference. We're there with you to install it. We're there with you to deploy it. We're there with you to administer it. We are constantly looking at these alerts and these incidents and these reports. We're escalating it to you with actionable info. The worst thing that you can get is a vague report that says bad things are happening in the network. Also known in the United States as the threat level is orange. Yeah, so what? Get out of bed, don't get out of bed. What exactly is it that you're supposed to do? Instead, we want actionable info available to you as part of the service so that you can answer the five W questions. The who, the what, the where, the when and what to do about this. Of course, we're talking about GDPR. So for that particular framework, annotated findings and the artifacts, all of this on a 24 by seven basis. You've taken a look, I've shown you the critical observations report this is something that you can control in terms of frequency, which of course, dictates cost. You want this once a week as an oversight thing. You want it once a day because you're interested in the in the security aspect of it. This is something that includes exactly what you need. It's tailored to your particular network, your particular requirements. And unlike a lot of things in life, this is something that actually gets smarter over time. You know, as we get to know your network, your environment, and we figure out that maybe John is harmless and we shouldn't worry about him when he fails to log on because he tends to do that, something that you would know in your network, why then the the report gets smarter and smarter over time, including specifically details for you. So there is how you get from the theory of GDPR to in fact the practice of GDPR. With that, Darren, I'll turn it over to you for questions.
0: Thank you very much, Dan. That was uh, really interesting um, okay, so uh, quick reminder we've got some uh, questions that have come through during the course of uh, our webinar today that uh, if you've uh, got any other questions, do please ask them now and we'll uh, uh, we'll do our best to uh, get to uh, all of those uh, questions that have been asked so um, first couple uh, amount that are definitely um, for uh, for you so um, uh, first one, is your service available in uh, the UK, or only in the UK, or uh, which parts of the world um, is, uh, um, is your solution available to?
1: Uh, it's available globally. Now, there's the misconception that GDPR is an EU thing, um, and of course it's not. GDPR is is applicable beyond the EU. If your company happens to be based in New York City, but is doing business in the EU or dealing with EU individuals, why then? Guess what? You're subject to GDPR. Uh, our solution is available in the UK for sure, but it's available in the United States as well, other parts of the world.
0: I am um, um, the next question here, and I, I love this one. This is one uh, um, someone's obviously been, uh, been paying attention um, to, uh, well, hopefully, this webinar, but others as well, I'm sure. Um, do you also provide hosting for the data and what's the retention period? Great GDPR orientated um, question there.
1: Um, so the answer is we, we do offer hosting. This is something that the customer can decide whether they want to or not. Uh, the hosting can be in the country of your choice if that's a concern for you. Uh, by default, uh, our, our data center is in uh, is in is in the United States in Texas, but it can be in Copenhagen, it can be in Scotland, it can be in Dublin, it can of course be in Amazon uh, EC2, it can also be in in Windows Azure if that's of interest to you. Now, so far as the data retention is concerned, yeah, that's a vexed question. Turns out that that's really where a lot of people uh, run aground because. As they say, the United States Defense Department, you know, a terabyte here and a petabyte there, and pretty soon you're talking about real disk. Um, Volumes, you know, can be really, really large. Um, So we have efficient mechanisms of storing this uh, for the short term to satisfy the security requirement, and then for the longer term in either warm or cold storage so that it's available, but not eating your budget to the point where you're distracted.
0: Yeah, very good. Um, there's another related question here um, that um, uh, says, "Our HR department." I'm sort of uh, shortening this one a little. Our HR department um, is, I'm going to be kind here. I think what they're saying is a little confused around uh, GDPR. Is there anything that um, that you can um, that you can uh, advise on that? Um, I'll take the one if that's all right, Ananth, and please do, uh, I'll pass it over to you afterwards. So if you've got anything extra to add. um, HR departments need to not be confused about GDPR, uh, particularly if they've got European, um, if you've got European staff um, or or if you fall under the, uh, you know, if you're following GDPR to any extent, um, there's a lot of personal information held in HR. So um, you need, your HR department needs to not be confused about that. Uh, I'm more than happy to, uh, we did a white paper about um, hr departments um some time back with some best practices and some guidance on uh, retention periods and things like that so i'm more than happy to um to share that out if anyone else is interested in uh, in receiving that then um do please um just pop that into the into the question window or into the chat window and i'll be more than happy to um send you a copy of that uh, that best practice um uh, after the uh, after the webinar's finished uh, and Anthony, anything that you would add um, there about uh, HR departments in particular? Uh,
1: yes, it's very, very important that HR departments not be confused. On the one hand, it's, uh, it's the GDPR date's come and gone, um, so so this is something that uh, maybe should have gotten on the priority list. But the good news is it is on the priority list now. So I would urge uh, them to please call Fifth Step today, not tomorrow. So that we can get them unconfused and on the path to uh, uh, fortune and glory.
0: Great stuff. Okay. Um, Okay. Let's pick another question um, here. Um, I think you've answered this one, Ananth, but I think um, it may have been asked uh, before. You um, you mentioned it, but um, in um, in relation to. event tracker in the solution um, that you've been talking about, Symphonic um, uh, solution, Um, the question is can I host the complete solution inside my network?
1: Indeed yes, Uh, a a number of buyers, uh, particularly large multinational buyers, for them this is their preference, they're already equipped with uh, data centers maybe in more than one location uh, the sanctity of the data, the fact that all of it must be under their control, subject to their access regulations, is very important to them. Um, in such situations, where if that is your situation, why then, yes, of course you can have uh, Event Tracker be installed inside your network. Therefore, all of the data coming from your endpoints, all of the GDPR reports, everything indeed is completely in your control, subject to you know your guidelines and your staff. All that would happen in that instances are 24 by seven soft would be able to have remote access to that instance or those instances of event tracker in event tracker only in order to provide the eyes on glass experience. But your data center, your disks, your retention mechanism,
0: your controls, absolutely. Great stuff. That's a uh, very, very powerful, and very important aspect around that. Um, so that's really good. Okay, one more, um, um, one more question, and then um, if there's, uh, uh, if anyone's got any other questions, then please do, uh, do ask those. But we'll, uh, we'll cover off this, uh, this, uh, this last one on the list, uh, and go from there. So. Um, this is a very general question, and I I, I like it from that uh, perspective, but um, is GDPR a good thing for society in general? Uh, and Dan, if I'm gonna let you answer that one first of all.
1: Yeah, you know, that uh, that's a really good one. Um, frankly, I'm mixed about this. On the one side, um, there are two different points of view. There's an American point of view uh, and, a, and, a, and a European point of view. The European point of view tends to think of DII as uh, intellectual property, it belongs to you, uh, and you should be the one to control specifically how it's used. Uh, which is fine. I get that. The American point of view tends to be more along the lines of the fact that it can be abused and stolen, not so much as intellectual property, but as a responsibility of the person that gets it to safeguard it. The, the Europeans are saying, I will control what you do with the data. The Americans tend to have the view that, you know, you be a responsible uh, company. The odd thing that seems to be the case is your PII is actually available to a multitude of non-private players, government players. I mean, if you take the bus in London, um, why then your face is on the camera? If you pass through uh, UK customs, why then they know a lot about you, your travel, uh, maybe your meal preference, maybe the flights that you came in on, your schedule, your itinerary, where you're going to stay the night and all of these kinds of things. Notice that the GDPR functionality appears to be more onerous for the private company, the ones who are very desperately anxious not to abuse your trust. Because by doing so, they're going to lose your custom. They're going to lose your favor. They're going to become pariahs. Uh, And yet we see a lot more stringency on the the private company side than we do on the the government side. is it a bad thing for us to collect your data so that we can generally come up with a cure for cancer or generally come up with a better algorithm for routing you across ugly traffic? If it's anonymized, the answer would appear to be no. It's for the greater good. And yet GDPR contemplates some, some difficult choices. So while it's easy to understand that, um, that people feel that the government should step in and introduce these sorts of regulations to prevent abuse, Whether GDPR itself is the correct mechanism is something that in my mind anyway is uh, is, uh, not clear. Of course it does subject now the organizations to lots of work, lots of responsibility. That's probably a good thing because overall it will lead to an increase in security practices. And God knows we've had enough of those data breaches. And if this is the way we can get you to click your seatbelt and be safe and save lives and because you're fearful of a fine, so be it. Good
0: for society, good for humanity as uh, in general. Darren, I think uh, I think that's a really good answer. Um, I guess I would say is GDPR the final answer? You know, no, not by a, a, a long shot. Um, but what I think has been really interesting is the way that it's got so many people around the globe talking about this important issue and starting to take it more seriously. Um, you know, some would say, um, you know, well, EU, the EU is imposing um, you know, laws um, universally and unilaterally, um, you know, that that's not the right thing. And I can see 100 percent where, um, you know, where people are coming from who are saying that. But the great thing about it is it has increased the conversation. But is it the right thing or the final thing? most definitely not. I think there's going to be um, US-orientated data protection that's going to come into into play, um, you know, probably in the next, uh, I don't know, perhaps in the next administration, probably not under the current administration, but I think that will come. So, um, you know, GDPR is not the end of the story, but it's an evolution along the way. So, okay, well, we've reached um, the top of the hour and the, uh, um, the, the closing point of our uh webinar I hope you've all enjoyed it before, but before we uh, before we do that uh what we're going to do is uh we're going to hand over to uh David now David I know you uh, messaged me and said you haven't tested your uh your mic yet but hopefully um it's working um Let's see whether it works, and um, if, uh, if the audio is no good, then obviously I'll read out the names and, uh, and, we'll, and we'll go from there. But we've had the draw, and these, uh, these next three people are going to be uh, um, winners and I would love to say lucky recipients of, uh, of a signed copy of, uh, uh, of my book. So, um, David, I'm going to um, hand over to you so that you can uh, announce the, uh, the winners. Well,
1: thank you so much, Darren. Uh, hopefully you can hear me. Um, the winners that we selected for the book are Lindsay Helms, Jackie Zhu, and Javier Soto. So congratulations, and we will get those books shipped out to you. We'll reach out to you for your addresses as well.
0: That's great, David, and congratulations to, um, to the three winners there, and I really hope you in, uh, enjoy a copy of the book, a copy of the book and uh, keep an eye on your, uh, your postbox. Great stuff. Well, we're going to um, close up the webinar now. Thank you very much for your attention. If you do have any further questions, don't hesitate to reach out to um, either myself or Ananth. And um, we look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks very much.
1: Good day, everybody.